Blog Talk Radio. Hey, good afternoon, everybody. All right, I was able to wake up today, and here we go with the show. I want to thank you guys for the ones that, you know, have been patient, you've been listening to the show for a while. I want to thank the new people for tuning in because my audience base has grown, you know, quite a bit over, you know, really since the last five years. I mean, it was growing from the very beginning, but over the past five years, it has been unbelievable. So all you new people, thank you. Thank you for listening to the show. Thank you for your support. I did get the message, so I'm going to use my outside voice today. So I'm hoping that you're able to hear this with a regular volume level, that you don't have to turn it all the way up. Let me know, and we'll work on some more things, you know. But, hey, I missed you guys. So this is Kim with Black Free Thinkers, and we are here to challenge you to think and live for yourself Again, we are here to challenge you to think and live for yourself. We are black free thinkers, but we are not the Candace Owens in Kanye Kind. I guess I got to make sure that people understand that and they understand it clearly. So as you all can tell, I am doing much better. You know, I'm feeling better. We changed a bunch of my medication around. So now I actually can sleep at night. See, I would sleep during the day, but I couldn't sleep at night. So we got all of that situated. You know, I'm wearing a heart monitor right now, and I should be taking it off next week. You know, we put it on for a couple of weeks here. But I'm hoping, I'm hoping that, you know, that situation is okay. But, you know, once I get done talking to the doctors, we'll be figuring it out either in December or January, figuring out what to do. Because there are some business prospects that have been put in front of me that I would actually like to take off running with next year, but if I end up having to get a pacemaker put in, you know, I'm not going to be able to do that. I'm going to be down and out for the count for a little while, and that's okay because I want to be healthy, and I want to be able to, you know, bring these things to fruition. So, you know, we're going to talk about a lot of things on the show, but the one thing, the business venture that I'm talking about, that's going to be at the end of the show, and and you'll understand why. And I'm going to give you some information and tell you some people to reach out to. Now, mind you, this is for people that live in Illinois. You may need to relocate back. I don't know what to tell you, darling, but, you know, we'll talk about that. So, anyways, goodness, 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 there's so much to talk about. So much has happened since the last time I did a show. It's been, I mean, even before then, you know, this this was a bad year for me. And, you know, again, those notes, those those kind words of compassion from people, they were not lost. Thank you so much. You know, my family and I, we went through a lot. We went through a lot. And, um, you know, you know, some of that has had a negative effect on my health. And I'm just really trying to pull it all together. So, you know, keep sending those well wishes. Um, You know me. I don't necessarily want you to send anything to me, but I want you to go out, spend some money, help, you know, adopt a family for Christmas or Thanksgiving. You know, if they're having the Thanksgiving dinner, 
go volunteer the Christmas dinner, go volunteer because they need help. And, and, and it's important that we give back. Now, with me and some of the issues going on with me, it's easier for me to give a couple of hundred dollars here and there. There you go. Because I, in most cases, am not physically able to do a lot of the things that I used to do. But we're trying to get that back in order once we figure out what's going on with this pacemaker. Do I? Do I not need one? Then I'm going to get another personal trainer, and it's time to do this again and take my martial arts back up. But that's after that the personal training, getting my cardio together, and toning up because, you know, with this lupus, over the years, it tears your body up. And, you know, I, I feel like I'm weaker, which I am because I used to be as strong as a horse, I'm telling you. And I'm um, trying to get all of that back, but I'm also trying to make sure that the muscles don't atrophy, right? So that's enough about me. I don't tell y'all what I'm doing, what I'm trying to figure out, what the hell is going on. So today's show is worldwide white Christian terrorism and Kanye too, right? So the notes that I put up here, it says, are you paying attention to what's happening around the world? The uprisings, the rebellions, the protests and revolutions are happening, and the mainstream media has been virtually silent. Why is that? Will the American people ever stand up for themselves? Are you prepared for the impending fallout and chaos? What will it take to make you question and challenge the status quo, right? So, you know, I'm speaking in generalities here. You know, again, when I do this show, it's not meant to be, you know, exhaustive or comprehensive. It's enough to pique your interest, and I want you to go out and research. Like I say, trust but verify. I want you to go and look up what I'm saying to you. And if you disagree, that's fine. We can do that. You can call into the show. Telephone is 310-982-4273. Again, that's 310-982-4273. But let me get a few things straight. (laughs) So since we started the show in September, you know, I've had some callers call in, and thank you. I appreciate it. You know, and, and even when they have differing opinions, I don't get upset. I think that is healthy because we're not going to agree on everything. And if there is someone out there that agrees with everything that I say, what I would tell you is what I've been saying over the years. I am not looking to groom many meats, you know, because, see, my thoughts, my values, my ethics, my morals, however you want to categorize that, has changed over the years. And one thing I'm not shy about doing is admitting when I was wrong, but then I will explain the process to you. This is what I used to believe. This is what I believe now. And I will explain everything that happened in between to bring me to this new conclusion. And it's okay not to know something. It's okay to change your mind. It really is. So we have to get out of that, out of that mindset that is shameful to change your mind, it's shameful to be wrong, none of that. You know, you're going to be wrong. And that's one of the things that I've noticed with a lot of older people. They do not care to admit when they're wrong. And they try to force the issue and be as wrong as two left feet. That is called control. And you have control issues. And I would say you need to work on that, but that's just my opinion. You may not think so, and you know what? I'm okay with that too, right? So one thing that I do want to get straight, because it was a recurring theme 
in, you know, some of the telephone calls that I get. Number one, trans people are people. Trans men are men. Trans women are women. I'm not going to debate that. We are pro-trans. We are trans-friendly on this show. We are LGBTQ-friendly. We are allies. You know, some of us are members of that particular group. So I just need for you all to understand that because, you know, there are different groups. There are different types of mindsets, different people out here who listen to this show for a variety of reasons, right? And that's fine. You know what they say, chew the meat and spit out the bones, right? And that's fine. Take what you need from this show and you grow, you know, and, 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 and I'm okay with that. Not Like I've said in the past, if you ever meet me or see me, don't come to me and quote what I said. I was there. I know what the hell I said. I want you to tell me how you grew, what has changed in your life. Have you been able to influence others? Have you been able to make other people rethink some shit, right? Because that's what's important to me. I want to see growth. And you know what? Even if you haven't really grown a lot, that's okay. I want you to think. Think for yourself. I need you to challenge the status quo. That has always been the most basic general principle of this show. And so, you know, I just think it's important. So, you know, I talked a little bit about my mom and, you know, and my mom had her funeral at a church because my mom was a Christian until her very last breath. She held on to her faith, you know, and, and I'm okay with that. And I want to make sure that people understand that and know that I love my mama. I loved her. I love her. I will always love her. And my mama, to her very last breath, protected us, her children. We were important to her. And, and, and so that's one of the reasons why I am not anti-black church why I am not anti-black Christian, because I don't give a damn what anybody says. I'm not tossing my mama, my aunts, my uncles, my cousins, my friends. I'm not tossing them out because they go to church. And, you know, and my mom had even really stopped going to church over really the last 20 years, if I'm going to be honest. She would visit here and there, but she wasn't necessarily a member of a church. Now, one thing I would say about my mom is that my mom researched all of that. And I think that's one of when I think I know that's one of the reasons why she came out of the physical church. So when I start talking about things and telling you to research it and share my research, you know, with you guys, that came honestly because I saw my mother doing that all her life. It was nothing for us to have atlases, big old maps, encyclopedias, all these magazines and books coming in. That is what fostered an early learning process for me. And it influenced me growing up, and it helped to develop me into the woman that I am. So I will always be grateful to my mama for challenging the status quo, for questioning people, questioning things. You know, I got it honestly. And so I love that woman. I miss her, but I see her in me, and I know what she imparted into me and into my life. And so it is because of her that I am here today talking to you and helping you all out, you know, as much as I can, right? So I just wanted to give honor, and, you know, there's some folks out there that think that, you know, atheists, free thinkers, agnostics, disgruntled, you know, Christians, 
spiritualist, whatever you, Wiccans, whatever you may want to call yourself, they feel like we should not have anything to do with the church. Some feel like we shouldn't have the funerals at churches. So that was my mama. She told me exactly what the hell she wanted, and that old lady got anything she fucking wanted from me. Okay? And I did what she wanted me to do. Fuck you, and fuck what you trying to talk about. You know, say it to me. You won't. And you know why you won't. Because you know I will hand your ass right back to you. So anyway, it is what it is. It's a lot to talk about. And so we're getting ready to take off running. You know, we're going to talk about a number of issues today. But, you know, I just want you all to think about the questions that I have posed to you because they're very important important questions, right? And so what I find interesting nowadays is what's happening with these posters, these pundits, these talking heads, you know, these journalists, and especially the Democrats. Now, for those of you, you know, who are getting to know me, I am a former black Republican, okay? I do not identify with the Republican Party anymore, but I don't identify with the Democratic Party either. I'm independent. All right, so I just need to make sure that that's understood at the beginning. So when you hear me critiquing, you hear me critiquing across the board, okay? So the Democrats, you're getting ready to lose another election. As of right now, I say, and I'm willing to put money down on this, Donald Trump is going to win 2020. He is going to win. And you know why? Because the Democrats ain't learned shit. Not a damn thing from that last election. Yeah, they stole that one, and they're going to steal the next one too. Because you're scared of your own damn shadows. And see, what's interesting about the Democrats is they are so focused on the white people who voted for Trump. Now, what you need to understand is that some of the many of the white folks that voted for Trump also voted for Barack Obama. I personally don't understand why you're focusing on those people when the bulk of your electorate are black and brown. You have neglected the black community. You're catering and pandering more to the brown community because, again, we're talking about demographics. We're talking about numbers, you know, fast growth and families. I get all of that. But it's the black people that pull you through every time, and you're ignoring us. And this is why many of us sat home in 2016. Now, I went out and I voted, but I'm not sure what I'm going to do in 2020 at this point because I am just unhappy across the damn board. And so the Democrats, I can tell you right now, it is your fault for the apathy that is taking place in these in many marginalized communities. You did this shit to yourself. So, you know, it's a, it's a lot that I can cover on that, but we got to move on. But, again, Democrats, you can't blame this on nobody but yourself. I want you guys to keep an eye out on Alabama, right? Ha! <laughs> Alabama because Jeff Sessions is trying to win his seat back. Now, what's interesting is with Alabama, with Doug Jones, who won Jeff Sessions' seat, but he won it because of black women turnout. 
And then after he won the seat, he said that he would, you know, basically be voting quite a bit with the Republicans because he believed in some of their principles, right? And again, that was a slap in the face to the black women who came out in record numbers, went and picked up a friend to go and vote for this Doug Jones, right? And I think Roy Moore is running again as well. So, you know, it's going to be interesting because, you know, it's, it's about splintering the vote. And Jeff Sessions is extremely popular in Alabama, but also pay attention to the disenfranchisement happening happening in Alabama, how they closed a lot of the Department of Motor Vehicle places where you could register to vote and the polling places. Go back. It's shameful. And the people that are being purged off the voting rolls. And what I would tell to each and every last one of you, where regardless of where you live, you need to check to see if you've been purged off of the voting rolls. You need to pay attention to that. And for those of you that are listening that have not voted, a lot of you, you know, they don't want some of you all to know this, but in many places, you can register to vote online. You don't necessarily have to go to the DMV, you know, or, or certain places to register. You can do a lot of that online. So I want you to do your due diligence and find out if that is applicable to you and where you live. And if it is applicable, share the word, share the information out there. Um, it's extremely important to do so. And so on the next show, because I forgot to do it this time, because it's like I got so much on my mind that I'm going to put some information up this week, if I can remember and find it. Well, I can find it. I just have to remember to do it about you know, how you can get more actively involved. Um, they have, like, bots and things like that that can text you, reminding you of when there's a primary coming up, the general election, and all the local and state, you know, elections that are coming up and that are happening right now. So it's important for you all to keep an eye on that. But Democrats, I can tell you right now, it's a real good chance to the way it's looking right now, I... I'm not sure what I'm going to do about you guys in 2020. So, you know, speaking of that, I have revisited my list of people that I find acceptable enough in this current election cycle. So we have Elizabeth Warren. She's number one. Julian Castro is now number two. And... With hesitancy, I've re-added Sanders. So we have Warren Castro Sanders, right? Um, I had so much hope for Yang, but I had to push him away. And there are reasons for that. You know, you need to go and look up some of the anti-blackness, some of the white supremacism that has taken place surrounding his campaign, and especially some of the people that are, you know, um, supporting him, you know, and that's one of the reasons why I'm very hesitant about Sanders, because these Bernie bots are absolutely horrible, you know, and it's just, I don't know what to tell you, other than you need to pay attention, you need to ask questions, but I really do like Julian Castro, you know, and I like his politics, and I, I like how he has his platform and what he's doing because what he's doing, you know, is real grassroots um, um, 
you know, work and activism, going out there and going to the places where people forget that folks even live out there, getting people registered to vote. And so I just, you know, at this point in time, you know, he's my guy. You know, I like him a lot, even though I do like Elizabeth Warren, too. You know, she's number one on my list. And, again, this list is fluid. It's subject to change. You know, I may switch some folks around, but right now is Warren Castro Sanders, right? And I just want to make sure I'm very clear again. I'm Buttigieg. Whoever puts him, if they make him the vice presidential pick, whether there's a Warren Sanders, Castro, any of them, if they choose him, I'm sitting on my hands. In good conscience, I am not going to vote for Buttigieg. Never. He's a never on my list, you know, and I'm looking at Bloomberg announcing that he may run, you know, and we're going to have damn stop and frisk for the entire country. Bloomberg, guys, again, another one of these billionaires that's willing to throw their money around so that they can get that seat. And it's going to be interesting watching that, you know, you even have that um, Steyer guy. Is it Steyer? I think it's Steyer. The guy from California that was running all of these ads about impeaching um, Trump. And so it's just, it's been interesting watching this and watching the fallout and watching people jumping into the race, as well as, you know, some people that are currently dropping out. So just keep an eye on that. I think that's extremely important. Towards the end of the show, I'm going to talk about marijuana, specifically Illinois Bill 1438. Again, that's Illinois Bill 1438. And basically what that is, is it's a bill that takes effect on January 1st, 2020, in which recreational marijuana will be legal in Illinois, right? Again, that's Illinois Bill 1438. I'm going to talk about marijuana, capitalism, specifically racialized capitalism, I want to make sure that's understood. You know, I usually talk in generalities, so I'll just say capitalism. But over the years, I've learned that I have to be more specific because otherwise it turns into a circular argument or a circular conversation. And that is the number one way to get me to tune you out, right? So I'm going to talk about racialized capitalism. I'm going to talk about reparations, Chicago style or Illinois style or Chicago, Illinois style, however you want to you know, however you want to describe it, right? So don't let me forget to talk about that. You know, I need for you guys to pay attention when I do because it's like some really important information that I want to share regarding that, right? And I want to make sure that I have plenty of time to get to it. So, you know, sometimes when I do this show, it's fast, fast, fast getting through it. So that's why I always say, guys, this is not exhaustive or, you know, or comprehensive. Go out and do your own thing, right? Do some research. So, you know, some of the things that I see running through my news feed on Facebook, which has changed over the years because I, I, I basically unfriended about three, 400 people over the past five years, right? And it's not because I had any issues with those people per se, it's just that some of the things that they would post, you know, from people that I just, I wasn't trying to hear it, you know, so I just pushed it off of my plate. 
you know, and I've said before in the past, it wasn't anything personal. I just was too through with a few things and a few people, and I didn't want to see that shit. So I just thought I'd put that out there again. But, yeah, so, you know, I see people out here, and what they're trying to do is, you know, basically build their politics or I won't even say build their politics, shape their politics around two what they call hot-button, hot-potato issues, which would be same-sex marriage or, you know, marriage equality and abortion. And many of them are saying that it is, you know, their Christian right to be able to, you know, take issue with same-sex marriage or same-gender-loving couples and marriage equality and abortion, and that that is what their Christian you know, beliefs are based on. And let me kind of tell you something. You know, those are issues, if you have issues with those issues, that's on you, whatever. I just say if you have an, if you don't want same-sex marriage, then don't marry somebody that's the same sex as yourself. You have control over that. If you don't believe in abortion, then don't go get one. But that shouldn't stop other people for wanting to have those specific privileges or rights. You know, it's not even a privilege. It's a right. And if you go back and you look at the roots of this Christian right activism, it goes back to basically segregation, school rights. They did not want their children to attend school with black and brown children. That is the base of the moral majority, the Christian right, you know, a lot of these activists. And it's extremely important that you understand. And, you know, you have some people that are not Christian. You have Muslims. You have Hindus. You have atheists. You have, you know, a number of different people, different categories that are against marriage equality and against abortion. Again, these are personal choices. But when it comes to segregation, and especially locking black and brown children out of the educational process, that is when it comes down to the law. And this is why it's important for you all to vote in the local and state um, politics or elections, right? Because those Elections and those laws and bills and policies reach you a lot faster than these federal laws and policies. And this is something that I've stressed over the years. And it's important that you guys understand and you know this and you appreciate it for what it is. To be honest with you, I think it's all bullshit, but hey, it is what it is and it's what we're working with, right? But I need you to pay attention because a lot of this is nothing but smoke and mirrors, baby. And I need you to understand that. And there's a lot of fake outrage as well. And you can see right through it. I mean, pay attention to what's happening with Congress right now. You have the Lindsey dude talking about he's not even going to read, you know, the, the impeachment um, transcripts or any of the transcripts of the people that have come in to testify. And that speaks volumes. It speaks volumes. And um, <laughs> we're going to get to that, but it's extremely important that you pay attention to what's happening. And I'm going to tie that into something in a couple of minutes. I'm going to get right back to this. But I want you guys to pay attention to what's happening in Seattle right now. 
So there's this woman, Kashama, Kashama Sawant, right? And this lets you know that I'm feeling better because it's like I'm now pronouncing names and words properly. You know, that comes and goes. But, yeah, this is sometimes where words and names come to die. So, you know, charge it to my head, not my heart. But it makes a big-ass difference when you're getting the proper rest and the proper fucking nutrition, right? So in Seattle, Kashama Sawant, she's a progressive candidate, but I want you all to keep an eye on her. Keep an eye on her. If I could move to Seattle, register to vote, and vote for her, I would. Just so I can watch the fuckery ensue. So Seattle... It's getting ready to be real interesting. They're going to provide us with a whole bunch of material in the event that she wins. So keep an eye on that. You know, it's a big old smile on my face right now because, you know, this, you know, I'm a political junkie. I live for this stuff, right? But I do believe that a lot of these pundits and these talking heads, you know, they are out of touch with your everyday people. They are out of touch with what's really going on in these particular communities, and many of them are way too biased. You know, they're going to stump for the people who give them a paycheck. And I know you're like, well, Kim, isn't that what they're supposed to do? That's what they're getting paid for? Yes, that's what they're getting paid for, but look at how some of these people are extremely fluid. And so it's one person I want to specifically talk about, but I'm not going to do it. Why? Is not worth the headaches. And so I'm just going to leave that right there where it is. But, you know, by the end of the show, I probably was like, fuck that. I'm going to call it out for what it is. But they get paid way too much money to be consistently wrong. What they need to do is come on now and let me, Pookie, and Ray Ray tell them what really the fuck is going on in these neighborhoods, in, in our communities, and 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 <laughs> what we're dealing with. So I'm going to post an article about um, Kashama Sawant later on so that, you know, you'll see why and understand why I find her fascinating. You know, she pissed off Amazon. She pissed off Jeff Bezos like nobody's business, you know. So she's one of those people just like AOC that triggers other folks. Now, understand, when I say I like these people, I don't necessarily agree with everything they have to say. But I also will tell you with some of them, it's a little tricky, and you need to pay attention, and you need to follow the money, and you need to pay attention to who who's supporting these people and why they are supporting these people. Because nothing in this life is free. And you need to understand that there is always a price to pay. And as long as you understand that and you move through life and understand that on the back end, somebody is going to expect some type of payoff, that makes it a little easier to navigate through these waters called life. You know, and unfortunately, I didn't learn a lot of this until I was a little bit older. And it was a slap in the face, you know, and I went through a lot of things that I probably would not have experienced had I paid attention to a lot of the lessons that, you know, my elders tried to teach me. 
And so, you know, again, that goes back to a lot of issues, y'all. So we'll we'll get to that. But I did post an article on my wall, and not only on my personal Facebook wall, but also on the Black Freethinkers page as well as the People of Color Beyond Faith page. And the name of the article is called Terminal Whiteness. And basically, it was a review on Jonathan Metzl's book, right? And Jonathan Metzl, if you all don't remember him, he did a book called The Protest Psychosis. And it talked about how during the 50s, 60s, and 70s, how they started diagnosing more black people with schizophrenia because they were protesting and they were the activists and the organizers. And the white people in this country could not understand why the black people in this country were unhappy. And before then, schizophrenia was primarily assigned as a diagnosis for white women or white housewives that were bored, right? And so you need to understand that transition, how that happened, and how it impacts us even to this day. So um, Jonathan Metzl's latest book is called Dying of Whiteness, and it is a great book. You know, it is an excellent book. And, you know, read this article. It's eye-opening because it talks about the, the, the white people who voted for Trump and also the white people that have voted for a lot of the white Republicans and voted in many cases against their own interests. And so, you know, the article is out there. I, I You know, the, the Bryant Simon is the one who wrote this article, and he did an excellent job of breaking this down. And, and basically, you know, again, it was commentary or review based on Jonathan Metzl's book, which is why I keep steering you that way, Dying of Whiteness. And what I would tell you, because these books are expensive, you know, and, and I know that, and I understand that. I remember I used to post different things about, um, you know, where I would find them on, you know, for free or at least take you over to Google Books where you can kind of leaf through quite a bit of the book without having to pay, right? So, and, you know, these people deserve to be paid for their hard work. I understand that, and I agree with that, right? But a lot of people can't afford it. But go and pay attention. Go read this article. This is one of the best written articles that I've read in a long time. And it will afford you a better understanding as to what's really going on and what's in the minds, in the mindset of this specific group of people. Right? And again, you know, they are not a monolith. Everybody thinks differently, you know, and it, that is true. You know, but you know, it's just it's um it's just important for you all to go out and understand, you know, what is really happening, you know, and and what's happening in this country, especially with the white Christian terrorism. And that is not just happening in America, it is happening globally. And I remember specifically in 2014, and even in 2015, we could take it back to 2013, 
you know, I had people, again, that would get angry with me when I would post about white nationalism, um, you know, activities, and and a lot of the, you know, Nazi and white nationalist protests that were happening throughout Europe, and particularly Western Europe, and people who had issues with it, they were getting angry, especially when I was posting things about France, Right. And so to give you a better understanding about the mindset of, of a lot of white Europeans in regards to racism, many of them labor under the delusion that because they have put it on the books, made unenforced laws and policies stating that racism and discrimination is against the law, that makes there no discrimination or racism or prejudice. You know, it no longer exists because on the books, it says that it's illegal, it's against the law, or, you know, it's intolerable. And see, what I need for you all to understand is that that is the mindset of a lot of these libertarians out here, which is why I have such a problem with libertarians, specifically white male libertarians, specifically conservative libertarians. And, and, and I find a lot of their rhetoric very troubling. Because what they're trying to do is confuse you, and, and, and what they're trying to do is back you into the corner because, again, they are banking on the fact that you have not researched these things, that you do not understand not only the laws and policies that are on the book, but the history behind it. And that is one of the reasons why they're able to take a lot of rights away from you because you didn't know what your rights were to begin with, Right? So I think it's important for you guys that we put this in context. And so what's happening over in Europe, specifically Western Europe, you are seeing all of these uprisings and protests and all of that. Now, there are different ones, okay? And I'm going to get a little bit more to that in a minute. And when I say a little bit more to that, right now I'm specifically talking about white, worldwide white Christian terrorism that is taking place. And if you go and you take a look at France and Italy and Germany and even, you know, in Spain, and people need to understand Spain is a part of Europe. That is not Latin America. So when we talk about Spaniards or the Spanish, they are considered European. And that is why you'll have a lot of people trying to explain to you the difference between Hispanic a Latinx person, a mestizo, you know, it's important for Chicano, you know, it's important for you all to understand the difference. And just in case some of you all out here listening, especially some of you white folks, Puerto Rico is a part of America. It's not a state, but it is a commonwealth. I think it's a commonwealth. But, yeah, it's a part of the United States. So you need to understand that. So anyway, what started happening even more so, because it was happening even before I started posting it. This is something that we've been watching for a while, but it's also something that never stopped. This has been an ongoing problem. And so, you know, you have the, you know, the Nazis rising back up. You have the white supremacists, the white nationalists, all of these people rising up. And they're getting a little bit more creative with their wording in an effort to confuse you. You know, they'll tell you that, 
they're out here and they're more concerned with Western values. Understand that. Western values. They, they in many cases, have this romanticism with the Enlightenment, Western civilization. Now, I'm saying this because I want you to pay attention, but I want you to pay attention to some of the people that you think are your heroes and you think that you admire. Because instead of coming out and saying that they are for discrimination, they'll just say, well, we're more interested in Western values. We're more interested in, um, you know, um, progressive enlightenment, you know, and, and, and some of them will even identify themselves as identity identitarians, right? So you need to understand and learn these buzzwords, learn these buzzwords and the triggers because it's there, but they're banking on the fact that you're not paying attention. And if you are, you let it slide because they're assuming that you do not understand most of the words that are coming out of their mouths. And it's important that you all look this shit up. Because you're going to find out that there are some people out there that you think are your friends, you think that are on your side, and they're not. But yet, some of you are out here still supporting them in a number of ways, but most importantly, you're, you're, you're supporting them with your money. And I need black, brown, red, yellow people to wake the fuck up. And also poor whites. You're financing this fuckery around the world. And you're like, oh, well, no, I just gave to an organization based here in the United States. They don't have to tell you what they did with your fucking money. And one thing I need for you all to understand as well, no one owns a 501c3. That is a publicly owned entity. No individual owns that. And the way that the laws are set up on the books, which basically the laws that are set up gives no oversight to these nonprofit organizations. And you have different categories of nonprofit organizations, especially if you move outside of the C3 and you start getting into C4 and others, those are the ones that can take dark money. They can take that Russian money. They can take that Ukrainian money. They can take the, you know, the money from, you know, Cotter, right, and, and, and all of these other problematic places. You need to understand that. And you need to pay attention, right? So I'm going to move on a little bit, but, yeah, what's happening over there in Western Europe is happening all over the world. And a lot of this is not being covered by mainstream news, and I'll get more into that a little bit. But before I move on, I definitely have to address what happened with the skiff. So if you all don't remember this, you should, because it happened most recently, but you had a lot of those Republican legislators that basically stormed the skiff where the impeachment inquiry was happening, where they were questioning witnesses, right? And, you know, most people are like, what the hell is going on? Why would they do that? Especially when many of them 
had seats on that particular committee and could have been sitting in there in their rightful seats questioning the witnesses. You need to be asking why weren't they questioning the witnesses? Why weren't they present when all of this questioning was happening? And so some of you, you know, if you've been paying attention for a while, it should be ringing in your head. It should be ringing like, that seems so familiar. Where have I seen that before? Has this been done before? Yes, it has. And I will give you the grammar, the terminology for you to go and research where this came from, why it worked, why it didn't work, and the origins of it. The correct name for you to look up is basically Brooks Brothers Riot of 2000. Again, Brooks Brothers Riot of 2000. And what happened here was during the election in 2000, once it was over, you had Al Gore versus Bush, right, in Florida. And, you know, there was the contestation of the election and the votes and, the, you know, dangling participles and the hanging chads, all of that shit going on, right? So, you know how you hear 45 always talking about, <laughs> you know, where's his Roy Cohn when he needed one, right? And what was interesting about when they stormed the skiff, um, they were led by Steve Scalise. Steve Scalise was the congressman from Louisiana that was shot when he was going out to the baseball practice, and he was shot and damn near killed. And it, because of his security detail, it was a black and brown, black and br- one black, one brown officers that saved his life. And the big old, you know, hubbub behind that was when Son of Baldwin wrote an article talking about let them die. It was so much, oh, my goodness, it was so much feedback and radio noise coming from that. But this is what happened in 2000. So what they did is they sent a mob, since they want to call us a mob and thugs, but, you know, a mob of thugs of Republican age, including Roger Stone. So what they did is they went to Miami-Dade County, and what they did is they stormed into a, a board meeting to physically halt the presidential recount. Now, there is an article on Mother Jones, um, and the title of it is, Republicans are acting like babies because they know that babies get what they want, right? And it talks about in depth what's happening here. And, (laughs) you know, a number of examples here, but this is where you saw it. This is what happened with Roger Stone and and many of the Republicans who wanted to stop the recount of 2000. And this is an old play by Roy Cohn, you know, well, somewhat, you know, from that particular playbook, you know, so Dirty Tricksters, I guess that's instead of saying Roy Cohn, but he's part of that particular culture, but Dirty Tricksters. Go and look this up. I need you all to pay attention <laughs> pay attention to how this happened and why this was happening. And also who gave the thumbs up on it. Kevin McCarthy is, you know, the the House minority leader. You know, <laughs> so I just need you guys to understand what's happening. Go and look that article up. I'm 
Mother Jones. Republicans are acting like babies because they know that babies get their way or get what they want. And you even may want to go and check out Seth Abramson over on um, Twitter. And he put out a set of tweets on October 23rd in which he says many are confused as to what's happening. So I'll clarify. Bipartisan hearings are being held with members of multiple House committees. Scalise is alleging of Schiff is hiding something, not because the GOP isn't in the room, but because the right Republicans aren't in the room. The right ones, in quotes, right? Meaning the ones like him that are going to throw a tantrum like Lindsey did and the other ones during the Kavanaugh hearings, you know, just grandstanding. So what Seth did is he broke this down, basically, into, you know, a limited number of tweets, about 10 of them, I believe, in which he explained what was happening. And it will be, you know what, I'll leave this here, and I'll post that as well, you know, this particular thread. But it will be eye-opening to you guys as to, you know, how this came about. But in his fourth, you know, installment of this thread, he said the effect of the Brooks Brothers riot in 2000, a fake protest comprising exclusively of GOP operatives, was to intimidate Florida government officials from counting ballots. The intent of this storming of a secure facility seems likewise to be to, be, to intimidate government officials. The fifth um, point, the Brooks Brothers riot is now infamous as it helped overturn through arguably criminal intimidation and trespassing a Florida Supreme Court ruling. Media failed to decry it sufficiently at the time. I expect the same mistake won't be made today with this storming of a skiff, right? Six, in retrospect, the GOP operatives posing as Florida voters in Miami-Dade County in 2000 should have been arrested and possibly indicted on federal charges. That won't and can't happen here, but security must be increased, and those who lay a hand on House guards must be arrested. So I'll post this a little bit later, but it's important that you all understand what's happening, understand, you know, the history behind it, why it's extremely important, and why your voice you need to raise your voice. It's important, you know, and, and when I say that, I'm talking about when you, the people that you could influence, the people that are around you, you know, and that's, you know, and sometimes that's scary and sometimes that's hard, you know, because in one particular um, example that, you know, I want to give you this example, but I think I'm going to let that go because I don't want to place that person in an awkward position, you know, even though I won't say names, it was a unique situation, but um, sometimes it's hard to do that. I get it. I understand that, right? So it is what it is. Um, (laughs) So let's get into a little bit of the meat of the show today. So basically, are you paying attention to what is happening all over the world? I said that a few times. In this case, the redundancy is needed. And, you know, and over the years and even in the future, you will hear me reinforcing some things. And you will have some people like she's talked about that before. Why is she talking again? You got to understand that my audience is growing. 
And in addition to that, even with some of you that have been listening for a while, you've forgotten some of the things that I've taught you as well. So I bring things back and I slowly factor it back into the equation. For some of you, it's, it's, it's a reminder. It's, it's like a refresher course. For some people, this is new information. And so, you know, I need for you all to understand what's going on, and especially with the press. And even though our country touts a free press, that's not necessarily true. You need to understand that many news stories are deliberately not covered in the media because this particular administration, as have all the other administrations, this is not unique. They've made it clear to the mainstream news outlets what they do and do not necessarily want covered. And there are certain stories that they want squashed. There's a reason for that. So... Not only stories and information and news coming from other countries, but especially what's happening here in this country. Now, I don't know about you, but me, I find it interesting that all of a sudden ain't nobody protesting but the teachers and the unions in this country all of a sudden. What happened to everybody else? What happened to those protests? What happened to those activists? What happened to those organizers? They're still there. And they're still protesting. And they're still out there. They're just not getting the coverage. Why? Because this particular administration basically told the mainstream news if they cover those things, they will basically incur the wrath of 45. And you really don't have to do anything to set him off, you know, but I need you to understand what's happening. They want you to believe that everybody is happy at home eating McDonald's. And that's not true. So what happened to these other movements? What happened to these activists and organizers? Again, and I bring this up often, but you need to pay attention, down in Ferguson, Missouri, too many of those activists and organizers are coming up dead. And also, if you're not paying attention to what's happening in Missouri, but specifically in the St. Louis area, in which Ferguson is right there on the outskirts of St. Louis, they are killing black and brown children, but specifically black children in record numbers. And this is not being televised or talked about. You need to ask why. You need to start sharing this information when you come across it. And like, why isn't anyone talking about this? You talk about it. Put it out there. Hell, tag me. I'm not one of these people that get pissed off when they get tagged. Now, I may not always, you know, the way I have it set up is that I have to approve when people tag me. And you know what? I'm, to be honest with you guys, I get so many damn notifications because my nosy ass be clicking, turn on notifications for this conversation on somebody else's wall because I've seen some really delicious arguments that I don't necessarily want to be a part of, but honey, it has brought me much entertainment and amusement, okay? <laughs> so, you know, it's, it's just interesting, but you need to start posting that. Tag me. I'm okay with it. Tweet at me. You know, I'm, all of my shit is out there. Only thing I ain't figured, I still ain't figured out Instagram, but, you know, to be honest with you, I ain't even really tried. You know, I, I'm going to have to get better and, you know, 
It's just been so much, y'all. Just bear with me. Be patient. Send me, a, send me a little link for a refresher course on that shit so I can use it more effectively, you know. But as you can tell, I'm feeling a hell of a lot better, you know. And, I mean, this was even before my mom passed away. It was like, I don't, you know, I do know what fucking happened. And I do know why I felt the way that I felt. But it's okay now. And I need for you all to know that and to understand that. You know, I, I, I love each and every last one of you in my own way. And it's a privilege and an honor for you all to allow me to be a part of your life, whether you agree with me or not. And for those of you that stuck with me, because, you know, again, I put up this little, you know, meme a while ago in which it basically says that, you do not have to endure the abuse from some other person while they are sorting out their own trauma. And I'll go back and I'll be honest right now, you know, there are some of my behavior, some of the things I said, in some cases, you know, were problematic. And I've, I've in my own way, made amends with some of it. Now, some of, some of the things, I meant that shit then, I mean it now. Let's not get that twisted. But as far as, like, you know, you know, to know better is to do better, right? And I've processed, you know, quite a bit of that trauma. I'm actually um, feeling a hell of a lot better. So anyway, getting back to what I was talking about, you know, and without taking you down my rabbit hole, if you will, um, it's important that you pay attention to independent news sources and you pay attention to the media from other countries. And that's one of the reasons why I enjoy visiting other countries because I get to watch their news from their standpoint. And what's interesting is when they report stories about what's happening in America, they give many, many more details than American, mainstream American um, press do or media does. And you need to pay attention to that. That's why I love Al Jazeera, you know, one of my favorites, you know, even the BBC and a lot of other ones. I used to um, really pay attention was um, Zinc. Ah, I forgot the name of that. It's been so long since I've watched their shit. But he was on MSNBC. He went independent, YouTube. That guy, you know, it's been so long that lets you know if I can't even remember his name. So, again, charge that to my head and not my heart, but I kind of moved away because it started getting weird and couldn't quite put my finger on it, but I I just felt like I needed to let go of that and, um, you know, kind of concentrate on some other things. But it's important that you get your news from a number of different types of medias. So not only American media, but, you know, media around the world. So you can get a better understanding because sometimes the mainstream media in America leaves out a whole bunch of details that you need to know because otherwise you don't fully understand how that became an issue, why these people are out here protesting. So um, and one of the best places that I've seen for independent news sources is Twitter. And one of the reasons is because Twitter moves quickly. It moves very quickly. And it's important that, you know, just pay attention. Some things you may not want to retweet or share, I get it. 
you know, but you have those bookmarks. So, you know, bookmark that stuff and go back and read it later. But Facebook squashes a lot of these stories too. So it's important that you all understand what's going on because, again, there is a concerted effort to spoon-feed you a lot of these things. It's a whole lot of propaganda that we've been fed and all our lives. I mean, shit, propaganda ain't new. This has been happening, and it flows freely in mainstream news, and it's not going anywhere. This is why I focus on telling you guys to hone in on those critical thinking skills because, you know, being a critical thinker can keep your ass out of a whole bunch of slings can keep you out of trouble in many cases. So, you know, I'll admit that I've fallen into a few of the rabbit holes. You know, I've, I've been tricked. I've been fooled, even most recently. So it can become very difficult to differentiate between fact and fiction sometimes. I'm the first one to admit that. And so, you know, I'm just trying to tell you what I'm learning. I try to share that with you guys. It's not the end-all, be-all. It's not the unadulterated truth. It's the truth as I know it right now, and that's subject to change, right? So, and especially what we're living through right now, you know, I like to describe this as a fucking Orwellian dystopian reality show that I'm being forced to participate in, and I resent it. And, um, you know, again, you got people pointing at 45, and 45 is a problem, but he is not the problem. He is a symptom of the problem. So pay attention. And I would like to encourage you guys, you know, if you can, you know, travel outside of the country. And, again, you know, again, some people are like, oh, that's very elitist. Some folks can't afford it. I get that. And that's why I share a lot of the stuff that I share because I want you to read something. And even if it's an article that I disagree with, there's usually something in that article that I want you to catch, you know. And so I just encourage you to just open your mind, broaden your horizons, learn something every day, okay? So – Specifically, I need for you guys to start paying attention to what's happening. You know, specifically pay attention to Haiti. Those children, man, they ain't playing. They are not playing over there. Haiti is in the streets, and it's not being covered, right? And so, you know, I put this out here before, and I don't know if I said it on the last show. I don't know. Baby, it all turns into a big ass blur for my ass. Like I said, I wasn't sleeping right. But so, but if you go back and you look at Haitian um, history, the Haitians are no damn joke. You know, and if it had not been for Desalines in Haiti, slavery probably would still be in effect in America. White people were afraid when Haiti overthrew France. And that is why France has, you know, put an economical chokehold on Haiti. 
And a lot of Americans have done that as well. You really do need to go and pay attention to what happened with the Clinton Foundation in Haiti and all that damn money. Same thing with Red Cross in Haiti and all that money. Hell, pay attention to what happened down in, in um, New Orleans after Hurricane Katrina and all that money and how it has not been fully redeveloped. You know, I know some people are like, why is she talking about over there? What about here? I just gave you some here. Go look that up. Right? So, you know, Haiti is fighting Ecuador, Hong Kong, Puerto Rico, which is a part of the United States, but they got that governor out. They meant that shit. And if that works there, what makes you think it won't work here? Maybe because they militarized the police? Maybe because they've created, you know, inner city urban reservation camps for black and brown people, which have which are purposefully surrounded by white enclaves called suburbs. That was done on purpose. When you travel up and down the highways in major American cities, you will see those partitions up there. That's not up there to beautify the city. It's up there to hide the poverty. Go and do some research on urban planning to get a better understanding as to what's happened and the redlining of American cities. Um, Kiyanga Yamada Taylor just wrote a book talking about how the government funded segregation and how it was set up in this country with the redlining and what has happened throughout history. And it's still happening now. Don't think that shit is gone. So all the way back to 2007 and 2008, and look at all of the wealth that they wiped out in the black and brown community with that housing bubble. None of them went to jail. But, you know, we've always had homelessness in this country, but if you go and you do some research about a lot of the homeless people now, many of them have not recovered from what happened in 2007 and 2008. Generations of wealth just totally obliterated, and how a lot of these, um, how can I put it, a lot of these corporations and and white investors came in and bought a lot of that property for next to nothing in these inner cities, in certain black suburbs and enclaves. They got it for next to nothing. And what I need for a lot of you to understand is this. You know, you and you know, you have people pointing at black people for not owning property and, and a lot of people feel that wealth can come through real estate. And I get that, right? But not when they're turning you down for loans that you that they qualify a white person with the very same um, you know, restrictions or the very same salary, the very same credit report. They got the loan. And if they did give it to a black or brown person, usually the interest rate was higher, right? But I need for you all to go back and to pay attention to what's happening. So anyway, so white landowners and investors in these corporations have always been in the forefront of this. One of the reasons why they turned a lot of black and brown people down for loans is because it forces you to rent, which enriches these white land 
owners and these corporations. It is being done on purpose. And especially with some of these slumlords, they do it because they know that you don't have a voice. And in many cases, they know you don't have too many choices out there. So it's just important. So like I said, that was Puerto Rico. You got 55 different countries in Africa alone up here fighting. You have Iraq. Look at pay attention to what's happening in Iraq and Lebanon in conjunction with Iran and Iran's influence in that particular region. I'm not going to spoon feed this because I don't really fully understand it myself either. And I need to get on top of that. But baby, over in Brazil, they fight. Everybody fighting. But us. How about that? Right? How about that shit? And, you know, and there's many more countries. I just didn't feel like listing them all, y'all. Go, go look it up. I'm going to post some articles, you know, about that a little bit later. But what I want you to also pay attention to is how the Chinese are basically colonizing Africa. You know, basically, yet again, stealing the resources of Africa. Africa is not poor. Africa is not poor. They're being robbed. And so you have a lot of these Chinese people marrying Africans, and a lot of that is because they want to establish roots there. Are you hearing what I'm saying to you? They want to establish roots. They want to establish citizenship. You know, and there was a story, and I apologize because I didn't pull it up, but um, I can't remember what country. Oh, I hate when I do that. But basically what's happening is it's, it's a Muslim country, and they're sending the Muslim men out to fight. And so when the Muslim men, you know, leave, and, you know, of course the government is keeping account of the number of households, which households, that do not have a man in it, they are sending in their own soldiers or their own officials or however you may, whatever you may want to call them, to stay at the homes of those women whose husbands have gone out to fight. And in many cases, they're sleeping in the same beds with those women, and those women do not have a say. So I'm going to find that article, and I'm going to post that shit, because when I read that, I was mad as hell. You know, but with what's happening over in Africa with the Chinese lending the money that they know these countries can't pay back, so basically they're buying a country on the cheap, and there is a lot of racism and discrimination and authoritative madness that is happening over there. You know, and what I found interesting is that Russia forgave a lot of African debt. You need to be asking why. Who does that benefit? Why are they doing this? What is the long-term goal? What is you know what are the long-term plans? You know you know of these particular factors being you know um, 
basically long-term issues being factored into the equation. Hell, do you even see or understand the equation? Because this shit is so convoluted. But trust me, it's a lot that you need to pay attention to. You also need to pay attention to the relationship between Russia and China. And go back and look at the history of that with the Silk Route or the Silk Road, right? And Russia and China have been making independent deals with each other outside of the EU without needing EU intervention intervention or permission or even America. And how they're selling to each other, how they're trading with each other. I want you to break out a map and actually go and look at where China is situated, where Russia is situated, and where Africa is. So we got to do a little geography here. So I want you to do some research on that, but I also want you to do some research on the old Silk Road, right, and how they're trying to create a new Silk Road, and they changed the name from New Silk Road to Belt and Road Forum on International Cooperation. You know, it used to be called One Belt, One Road, or that's what it refers to, right? One Belt, One Road. And then also I want you to pay attention to the impact of the Belt and Road Forum on international cooperation. Pay attention to its impact on places like Uzbekistan, Mongolia, and a bunch of other ones. But I want you to also look up U.S. Silk Road Initiative. They're not talking about a lot of this. They're not talking about any of this on the American mainstream news. And, yes, I am sending you down a rabbit hole. But what I will caution you to is that there is a lot of information out there. It's, it's important that you know how to filter through that shit. So that's why, you know, I'm bringing it up, but I'm still learning and, and trying to understand better what the hell is going on here. So, all right, so, you know, let's talk a little bit about what's happening, especially the one particular protest that, you know, I'm only going to speak about this specifically is because I've brought it up once before, right? So what's happening over in Hong Kong and how, you know, they're making their protest, they say, fluid, like water. And so basically, you know, they're basing that on a quote from Bruce Lee. I know last time I said Jet Lee, but it's really Bruce Lee, forgive me, and how they're adapting. So when they're changing the laws, and, and it's and they've just outsmarted the police and the military there. And a lot of that was done through airdrops on your Apple phones, right, how they were able to airdrop information to each other so it wasn't necessarily going over a network where it can be intercepted. And it's so funny because it reminds me of what was happening with Occupy Wall Street, especially in New York. The police will show up to, you know, because they'd be following the tweets and everything. They'd, they'd show up in one area thinking that's where everybody was going to be, and they were somewhere else. So they were misleading the police, and the police could never catch up with them, and the protest just had them running in circles. And the same thing was happening in Chicago, you know, because I remember when Occupy Wall Street first started. I went out there a couple of times until they started arresting folks, and I'll tell y'all in a heartbeat, Kim ain't going to the clink. I can't do it. I look good in orange, but not every fucking day, no. Right? So 
what's interesting about this Hong Kong issue is that there is an internal uprising and fight at Google right now that you all may not have heard of, but you have a bunch of the Google employees basically fighting with their company, fighting with Google because Google banned a Hong Kong protest video game app. Look it up and why. So anyway, one of the things that I want to bring to your attention regarding the Chinese, oh, I'm sorry, I apologize regarding the Hong Kong protests is basically, and it's an article here, I want to make sure that I give credit when it's freaking due. Where is this article coming from? Anyway, I'll read this part, but basically, oh, let me hit the shift key. Oh, that doesn't work either. So anyway, it talks about um, Beijing claiming that Hong Kong protests have clear color revolution characteristics adding that it will not rule out intervention if the city is in turmoil. And so right here, color revolution refers to movements in uh, former Soviet countries in the 2000s that led to the overthrow of governments. Beijing believes such movements were organized or assisted by the United States, right? And it's extremely important that, you know, you, you understand that. Um, let me see here. That particular quote came from the Washington Post, right? And the name of this article is, in Hong Kong, what happens now that Beijing has called the protest a color, a color revolution? And it was written by Michael Davis and Victoria Huey, or Hui. And it's a good article. I'll post it a little bit later. Well, I'm not going to – well, I'll post it on my on a Black Freethinkers wall and the People of Color Beyond Faith wall. And so then you'll have it there. But, um, you know, go out and read that. There's another article titled – and this is from HongKongFP.com. HongKongFP.com. And basically the title of this is Beijing – Ding's Hong Kong protest, color revolution will not rule out intervention. And this was written by Chris Chang, right? And so basically, okay, that's where the first quote came from that I made earlier. The second quote that I want to bring up here is, as soon as it switches over for me, um, you know, still talking about, you know, Hong Kong calling this um, you know, uh, revolution and, you know, about color and all of this, right? So the clear revolution label is complicated, as it says here. So it talks about how Hong Kong's massive protest began in May and called for the government to formally withdraw an extradition bill that would have required Hong Kong authorities to turn over accused offenders to man- mainland criminal justice. Protesters now want an independent investigation into police abuses and are calling on the Hong Kong government to drop riot charges and reopen the debate over democratic reform, which the government set aside in 2015. But unlike color revolutions in Ukraine, Georgia, and elsewhere, people in Hong Kong are not fighting for some abstract ideals that they have never experienced. 
Instead, they are defending the freedoms and autonomy uh, that they have grown up with. If they also aspire to democracy, that is because it had been guaranteed to them, right? And so that there came from the first link that I was talking about, the Washington Post was happening in Hong Kong. So go look that up. But another article that I want you all to look up, and when I was talking about the fighting happening, you know, I'm not leaving out Ukraine. I'm not leaving out Syria. You know, go and look those things up as well. That's why I said there were many other countries fighting, but I didn't want anyone out there saying she didn't even mention Ukraine and Syria. Yeah, I'm talking about them too. But there is another article, and especially this article, go look it up. It's on fair.org. F-A-I-R dot org. In the title of this article, The Revolution Isn't Being Televised. And it was written by Alan McLeod, McLeod, M-A-C-L-E-O-D. And it was written on October 26th of this year. And so it's talking about, you know, I'll read this first paragraph. It's kicking off everywhere in 2019. Haitians are revolting against the corrupt political system and their president, Jovenel Moise who many see as a kleptocratic U.S. puppet. In Ecuador, huge public manifestations managed to force President um, Lenin Moreno to backtrack on his IMF-backed neoliberal package that would have sharply cut government spending and increased transport prices. You know, and so just go, and I want you to read this, you know, it's talking about here about, the, you know, the popular Chilean frustration at the conservative Piñera administration boiled over into massive protests that were immediately met with force. And basically the president was saying, we are at war, right? And so, um, you know, basically reminding some folks of things that were saying by Augusto Pinochet, Right who was the fascist dictator. So it's important that you all pay attention to this and you tie. There are some common or kindred threads here, okay? And you cannot rule out U.S. intervention in all of this, okay, and U.S. influence in these particular protests that are happening. Yeah, I know. I'm talking too slow. I need to get through a lot more of this, trying to figure out what I'm going to cut out. So what the hell happened over here? All right. So, <laughs> All right. Well, we'll allow that page to refresh itself, and we'll get back over here. Ah, there it is. All right. I knew I didn't lose it. We may end up going into overtime, y'all. Sorry about that. But I'm going to keep it quick. I want to talk about Kanye and his little rap album. Somebody on Twitter said that Kanye's CD was the second worst thing that happened to Jesus. You know, and I just laughed because I'm like, the first worst thing, well, you know, there are many people who question whether Jesus ever existed or not, and I'm not here to get into that. But I guess the first, the very worst thing that ever happened to Jesus was finding out that people ain't shit. People you fed, you clothed, you cared for, you prayed, you know, prayed for, you healed, and whatever respect you want to put it will be the first ones to throw your ass under the fucking bus. So that is my commentary on that. But, guys, all right, so we've talked about it. We've been talking about it for a few years about Kanye buying up all this property, 
and wanting to start up a church. And now that's happening. He's starting this church. They claim over a thousand people gave their life to Christ because of Kanye. And and child, y'all, look, if you don't get anything else from this show today, this is something that you need to understand. What Kanye is doing is applying a lot of the principles of that prosperity preaching. And it's also those principles that got 45 elected. And it's those same principles that allowed 45 to elevate Paula White to be over the faith and opportunity initiatives. And don't sleep on that. But getting back to Kanye and what's happening with him, as soon as 45 was elected president, Kanye immediately tweeted out that he was going to run for president in 2024. And see, you all laugh at shit just like you laughed at 45, and we kept telling you all to stop laughing that this was real and it was problematic. Kanye means that shit, y'all. He is planning to run for office in 2024, and he understands, you know, he understands. Y'all think Kanye is stupid. That man is not stupid. I won't say he's a genius, but he's sure as hell not stupid. And what he's learned and what he understands is that the way to get into a lot of people's heads and hearts is to talk about money, to make them the promise of money, to make them the promise of a better tomorrow while he enjoys a better today, right? And he is creating, setting up his platform, and he is slowly building it up and setting the stage for him to run and possibly be a real contender. And, again, a lot of this, how 45 was elected, some of the people that supported 45 and some of the people that, that, that supports Kanye in this possible future run for president of the United States, Look, I get it. Some people don't have time to read. Some people, you know, like me, I'm dyslexic. So it takes me a little longer to read some shit, you know, because it's just, it is what it is. But I'm one of those people. I learn from, you know, a lot from doing, from hearing and from listening. And that forces me to go and do some research and all this. But I read a lot, you know, and even being dyslexic, I read a lot. It's important that you guys start reading more or get with people that you know who would not mislead you. And most importantly, they're open to you asking questions, right? And so pay attention, pay attention. And most importantly, I want you to understand this. Last year, Kanye, just last year alone, last one year, one year, January 1st, 2018 to December 31st, 2018, that one year, Kanye made $115 million in one fucking year, $115 million, and he still ended up $35 million in debt, Okay. $115 million over the course of 2018, 
ending the year in the red in debt $35 million. However, he received an income tax check this year for $65 million because of the tax incentives put on the books by 45. $65 million refund. And then Kanye started thinking even more. All of a sudden, Kanye loves Jesus. Kanye has a 501c, I think that's a three, but, you know, we're just going to say a 501c in which he can now live tax-free. Are you keeping up with me? Pay attention. There is always a method to the madness. So, (laughs) you know, I could go on, but you're smart enough to go and look this up yourself and start connecting these dots. But um, pay attention to this shit because this can easily, easily turn into another Waco situation can turn into another situation like, you know, the Al- like Alamo. And when I say Alamo, I'm not talking about the Alamo. I want you to go up and look at, um, I think it's the Alamo or Alamo um, Ministries. And Tony Alamo, right? I think it's Tony. Anyway, uh, just, you know, go out, do some research, understand what happened, and, you know, hold on a second here. Let me see here, because it's important. Yeah, so it is the Alamo Ministry and Tony Alamo. Yeah, go look that up. There's a good documentary about this on Netflix, you know, talking about the ministry of evil, right? But, um, you know, you want to understand, you know, what is actually happening, happening out here and how none of this is new and how they learn from each other. So the name of the Netflix series is Ministry of Evil, and it's actually a really, really, really good documentary on Tony Alamo and what he was able to achieve. And, you know, heading down the same damn road again. And, you know, I'm scared for a lot of these young people. Because, again, people want to be validated, they want to be loved, they want to be accepted, you know, and a bunch of other things. And you have people out there that will give them that. But like I said earlier, everything comes with a price. You know, and Kanye wants people to buy those clothes looking like he's walking around in sackcloth and shit and mad because the white people won't put him on a damn runway. And what you got to understand with Kanye is he wants that white validation. And just like a lot of these black people, you all run behind and and follow behind. They want white validation. They want white acceptance. They want the same benefits and privileges that the white people are getting. And that's why I keep telling y'all, we have white supremacists coated in chocolate out here. And you have a lot of black white supremacists that are worse than the damn white supremacists themselves. But if you pay attention to some of those conversations, they agree on virtually the same damn thing. 
One wants it in white face, and the other one wants it in black face. And it's important for you to understand they are walking the same road. But at the end of the day, the only person getting screwed is you. Now, you can keep giving them your money. You can keep giving them your time. But you won't be able to say that nobody sounded the, the bell, that the clarion call was not put out. I'm telling you, and I have been saying this for years. So if one of your black-brown leaders are a little bit too white-oriented, trust me, there's a reason for that. They don't mind hucking and bucking for, you know, for Miss Ann and Mr. Charlie if they think they're going to get some money in a position and power out of it. They do not have your best interest at hand. They want to deliver you over to them so that they can easily control you. That is why they are called overseers. And if you go back and you look at the history all the way back to slavery and even before, the people that were overseeing the black folks, you know, in many cases, they will put black overseers there. They will put certain black preachers in the pulpit to make the blacks more, you know, amenable, more agreeable, more subservient. Because even though they don't, they don't want to tell us this, they don't want people talking about this, there were uprisings happening all over the United States. People did not want to be enslaved. And also, there were a lot of poor whites joining forces with the enslaved people and, 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 and rising up and rioting and killing these, you know, overseers and killing these slave masters. And that includes white women. Don't let white women basically cry their way out of accepting their responsibility and accountability for slavery, Jim Crow, discrimination, racism, all that shit that's happening now. They benefit from it. That is why 53% of them voted for Donald Trump. Don't let them damn white tears fool you. And there are a number of books out there. I wasn't coming here to talk about that today, but now I'm getting pissed off, right? So I need to get through the rest of this show without going to hell off about white women and their damn, you know, feigned innocence. You know, and in many cases, these white women are worse than these white men. So anyway, I was going to talk quite a bit about Paula White and this Faith and Opportunity Initiative, but I don't have a lot of time left. But if you all have been listening to the show for a while, I've talked about faith-based initiatives. And this has been in place since George W. Bush. So don't sleep on this. So I'm going to put a couple of articles out talking specifically about the faith-based initiatives. One particular article, you're going to find this on a religion news services. The title of the article, Cheers and Caution for President Trump's New Faith-Based Initiatives, right? Another article you can find, uh, let me see, the title is, Prosperity Preacher to Head White House Faith-Based Initiatives. You can find this on the gospelcoalition.org, right? And, you know, I'm giving you the, the, the um, article names and websites because I'm not going to have a chance to really get into it too heavy, but, and you know, I'll give you a couple of quotes. 
So with this here, with the faith-based or faith and opportunity initiatives, what it is is basically the order flows somewhat from the framework of the two previous administration's faith offices because George W. had one and Barack Obama had one. But before Barack Obama was elected, he said he was going to phase that out until some black preachers went to go visit him, right? And so, of course, on this particular site, which is the Religion News Service, they say this is a good thing as it demands a more structured way for the White House and the bureaucracy to communicate with faith groups and advise one another on matters involving religion. This initiative appropriately invites religious community and nonprofit leaders to advise the government and equip partners on issues including poverty, addiction, criminal justice, and marriage and family life. All this is welcome and needed. All right, so here's the rub on that, right? And there's many, many more because I wanted to bring up a few other things, but, you know, you all – I think you'll be okay. You know, talk here a little bit. I'll tell you a little bit about the pitfalls. It says, first, it's a matter of staffing. And the reason why I'm going to read this is because I'm going to give my commentary on it, and it'll make sense. First, it's a matter of staffing. There is a natural tendency for presidents to transition campaign advisors and staffers into related federal jobs. This is not a bad thing in itself as campaigns provide staffers education, engagement, and experience that will benefit them as administration officials. But in Trump's case especially, it will be important not to create a jobs program for his evangelical political supporters. This office needs professional staff with expertise, sensitivity, and strong ecumenical and interfaith impulses. The second concern is inclusion. This only works in a legally secular and religiously plural society if it is diverse and inclusive. To put it mildly, Trump has struggled with religious inclusion and neutrality in his rhetoric and in his governing. So, boom. My commentary on this, and this is something that I've been very consistent with on this show, they are trying to push the what they consider entitlement programs which are programs that were created with the New Deal, which were not ever intended for black and brown people to be a part of, but it happened, right? And we've talked about that. Go and read Ira Katz Nelson's book, When Affirmative Action Was White. And then he has another book, and it's titled Fear Itself. Again, that's Ira Katz Nelson. So they're trying to push these entitlement New Deal programs off of the federal register, and they're trying to push them towards churches, right, 501c3 specifically, but approved 501c3s. They, these churches, number one, they don't have the subject matter experts to deal with this. Number two, they don't have the infrastructure. I believe it's going to open the door for more abuse because when you go to some of these churches, they have what they call are willing workers. Now, the willing workers are the people that do work for the church for free. The ones that are employed by the church, a lot of people don't know this, but there are people that are employed by churches, and the church does not have to pay a dime towards their Social Security. So when they retire from the church or an organization, they are destitute and then have to rely on Social Security. And I'm not saying that as a bad thing. I don't think it's a bad thing. But what I don't understand is why is there no accountability for that? And I feel that 
all five all nonprofit organizations, it doesn't matter if you're a C three, C four, whatever, all of them need to pay taxes. At least the commercial tax. And that is something that Beto O'Rourke was talking about. He wanted to tax nonprofit organizations. You know, so you know, he fizzled out real quickly because these folks ain't trying to give up no money, right? But it's gonna be a lot of people hurt. It's gonna be your average everyday Joe and Joette that lives on the block that, you know, by the twentieth, twenty first of the month, the food don't ran out. They know this church has a food bank. They do, you know, they work with the food depository. They give out on this day, and this other church over here does it on this day, and they can get enough groceries till they get, you know, get paid again. All of that, child, oh, my God, they're going to be funneling all this money through these nonprofit organizations, and whether it's religious-based or even secular-based, there is a lot of corruption. A lot of, you know, things happening. You know, you have people embezzling money left and right in these organizations. And, I mean, it's happening in the secular the atheist community as well. They're just not talking about it much. I talk about it, makes them unhappy, but they know they can kiss my big black ass. I don't told them that several times. Pay attention. Because once they start rolling these pro- these programs into the church and giving them the money, the money is going to start disappearing. And everybody going to have a Maybach but you. In addition to that, being able to funnel PAC money, political action committee money, through the churches, all of this is being set up. And this is why you have people like um, Kenneth Copeland and his daughter and Paula White and, you know, a number of other preachers out here now challenging these ministers and these churches to preach politics in the pulpit because there is absolutely no retribution anymore. So while they did not abolish the Johnson Amendment, it's been relaxed like a motherfucker. And you need to understand that. I know, I know, y'all. I think we're going to go into overtime. I am so sorry. I did not want to do that, but I just think it's extremely important that you understand what is happening here and why I just just feel it deep down that I got to get this shit out and let you know what's happening because they're banking on the fact that you're not paying any attention. You understand? You're a lot of things, but you're not stupid. That I know for a fact. And you need to start questioning shit. So that second article that I read off the prosperity preacher to head white house faith-based initiatives So there were a couple of paragraphs here, a few of them, that I wanted to bring out. The Faith and Opportunity Initiative is similar to the White House Office of Faith-Based and Neighborhood Partnerships, which was created under President George Bush, continued under President Obama as the White House Office of Faith-Based and Neighborhood Partnerships. And basically, you know, I'm looking at all of this stuff, and you you all know how I am. I see all of this shit as capitalism on steroids. You know, and again, I'm just, I, I'm just undone. And you know, I'm looking at the atheist, secular, humanist, free thought, whatever community, atheist, whatever you want to call yourself, gatheist, all of that. You all are out here, and quite a few of you call yourself social justice warriors. You proudly hold on to that 
outside, but you ain't doing shit. Where are the fucking lawsuits against this type of, um, you know, this type of pandering that's taking place? Why aren't you out there fighting to make sure that everybody across the board has access to these programs? And why aren't you out there fighting for legislations, at least on the state and local level, that will force these organizations to do right by the people? You have these conferences. I see these damn GoFundMes. I see all that shit. But ain't none of it to work on this type of stuff. Now, I will give Freedom from Religion Foundation credit. You know, they are on it. You know, and it's a lot more that they can do, but, I mean, they only have so many people on staff. There's so many fights that, you know, they can take on. But what about the rest of you? I'm here begging for money left and right every time I fucking see you. You know, unfortunately, a lot of the money you're begging for is to go pay for damn lawsuits in which y'all suing each other because a lot of you only rose to popularity and power because you were so busy writing blogs about each other every day until somebody got mad and the summons came and slapped you in the face. And again, as I've stated before, there are some people on this earth that only understands the soft, gentle breeze of legal briefs hitting the table, and unfortunately, that's what's happened to that community. But I digress. I need y'all to pay attention. You need to be concerned. You need to be vigilant. You need to be loud. Well, what the hell do I know? Little black girl from South Side Chicago trying to find her way, right? And so all of that, you know, I'm tired. Like whatever. And it, it all goes back to this. It's about shaming the poor, shaming the working class, shaming the disabled, shaming, you know, any all of these different marginalized groups. But what I need for you all to understand, and this, and you know, because I know someone like him, we don't see you out here with any of these people anymore. At first, you were, yeah, they fooled my ass for a minute, and then I really started paying attention. Now, what I'll say is that it's not that I'm against any of these particular marginalized communities. I just refuse to work with the mainstream organizations. And when we say mainstream, I'm talking about white-centered, white-based. They, they had to bring out the white faces to make it more palatable to America. Now, even that is a misnomer, but hell, I'm not going to get into that right now. No, I do not support a lot of these mainstream movements and organizations and all of that. Why? Because they have not addressed the issues of racism, sexism, misogyny, ableism, all homophobia, transphobia. They have not addressed those issues in their own community. So how the hell do you expect me to support, like, let's say, like the atheist humanist community? How do you expect me to support their mainstream movement when they are not addressing those issues that are happening within their own fucking movement? And they got the right black and brown you know, oh, God, you, Lord, minstrels working the show. And you need to be asking yourself this question. 
if they are not addressing these issues and dealing with them and doing it on a public forum, publicly, upfront, out, open, you need to be asking why. And you also need to be asking those black and brown minstrels why they're trying to bring you into a community that's toxic and that is going to hurt and harm you in the long run because they do not basically give a damn about your issues and what you're going through. But they're main ones stealing terminology coming from the black and brown thinkers that are out here, words like intersectionality. They love that damn word. They've used it so much that it's lost a lot of its fucking power, and that was done on purpose. They wouldn't know intersection if you beat them with an intersection stick, right? Because what they're trying to do is get their regular white person status back, and it's important that you all understand that. And even with some of these people that we categorize as brown, yeah, they, they're brown when it's convenient, but a lot of them are white identified. You need to start asking questions about that shit, too. And what happens with that little bit of white privilege or white pathology, because I said I'm going to stop saying white privilege, and I'm going to stop saying white supremacy. It's going to take me a while to get into it, and I'm just going to call it what it is, fucking white pathology. Why are these people trying to pull you into a community that's only going to hurt and harm you in the long run? It's a money grab. They don't give a fuck about this shit. They don't give a damn about you either. Yes, they do, Kim. No, they don't. How do you know, Kim, their actions speak? Actions speak louder than words. Oh, well. So, moving on. I'm pretty sure you all, and you know, I'm getting to my last point. I, was gonna, well, I did just talk about racialized capitalism to a certain degree, but um, I'm going to talk about a little bit about that now, along with the marijuana and um, reparations and all of that. So, I know you all have been paying attention to H.R. 40, and basically it's a commission to develop proposals on how to compensate the descendants of American slaves. Um, it's basically reparations could take form, take many different forms, but the straightforward form would be cash from the government. And according to a recent Gallup poll, 67% of Americans say the government should not make such payments, but 73% of black Americans says the government should. All right. So let's talk about that reparations thing. Chicago is the only American city, Illinois, the only American state that has addressed some form of fractal reparations, right? And what's interesting is that you have, you know, most white people are against reparations. You know, many of them don't understand the history of this country, but many of them do. And it all boils down to what I was going to say. I don't know if I finished making my point or not about these mainstream organizations and these mainstream movements and why I can't support them. What they're trying to do is get their regular white person status back, especially with white men. And these movements are purposefully built around white men because even with the LGBTQ community, the you know the the gay rights movement started with black and brown trans women fighting back, fighting the police back 
but they had to make it more palatable to white mainstream America, which is why they put the white men up front. And yes, there were a lot of white men, you know, dying. But there were women, white women and black people too, and brown people and everybody else dying from, you know, from AIDS as well. But it became white male centered to try to, you know, gain more empathy, right? And so that's why I'm like, I need for you all to start cutting through, you know, all this bullshit to understand what's happening. They want their regular white person status back. They don't give a damn about issues for the most part about black or brown people. You understand? So anyway, they don't want us to happen, you know. And, you know, there are some that do want black and brown, well, black folks, you know, descendants of enslaved people to receive reparations. But what's interesting is many of them want to tell us what to do with the money. Oh, it should be put towards education, blah, 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 this, that, any other. And I'm not saying that's a bad idea. I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is I'm single with no goddamn children. Cut my check. Now, one thing I do want to make sure that is understood, understood, I'm talking about reparations, but I am not endorsing any specific group out here trying to get reparations. So don't be coming at me saying, oh, Kim, so, you know, are you a part of this group? I ain't a part of no goddamn group. White or black or brown or green or purple or red or yellow. I'm not part of any of those groups or those movements. I'm in the mind my own goddamn business movement, okay? Because for many, I've gotten in, I've seen some shit, it ain't worth it, and blah, 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 blah. So anyway, you know, being unmarried and childless brings punitive retribution in this country sometimes. But we're not here to talk about that today. But you got some white people who still want to maintain control and, and tell us how we should use the reparations. Now, do we need to have put forth an agenda and a platform? Yes, that needs to happen. And when Johnny Cochran was alive, you know, the Pan-African groups were coming together and basically seeking reparations for Africans throughout the world or, you know, diaspora, including people that were colonized, right? So, you know, then you have a group of people here in America that are specifically looking for reparations for descendants of those that were enslaved in this country. And so you got that group. And, I mean, there are problems with both groups. There are problems with both groups. And there are a number of other groups out there, and there are some things that are problematic with, with them as well. No, Nothing and nobody is perfect. But. On May 6, 2015, the city of Chicago signed into law an ordinance granting cash payments, free college education, and a range of social services to 57 living survivors of police torture, explicitly defined as reparations. The ordinance also includes a formal apology from Mayor Rahm Emanuel and a mandate to teach the broader public about the torture through a memorial and public school curriculums, the hard-won legislation envisioned by activists made Chicago the first and thus far only municipality in the country to pay reparations for racist police violence. I need y'all to pay attention to that. 
And if you're working with groups in other cities, even if you're not working with them, um, send them this information. You can find, um, I'll give you a couple of articles. The reparations debate is heading to city council, and you can find that on WTTW website. And again, I'll read the title. The reparations debate is heading to city council. Um, another article, how Chicago became the first city to make reparations to victims of police violence. That was written by Yana Kuchinoff. Oh, Lord, I'm killing names again. Kunachoff and Sarah Mac- McCarrick. Forgive me. All right. And um, it's important that you understand that. And so I uh, only got a few more minutes left. I need for you all to understand Chicago, or oh, not Chicago, but Illinois, has basically, as of January 1st, 2020, has deregulated a lot of the, a lot of, well, basically, we'll put it, let me rephrase that. As of January 1st, 2020, recreational marijuana will be legal in Illinois. That's Illinois Bill 1438. So, I want you guys to look up an article. It's important. This one is really important. It's on the Chicago Sun-Times, Marijuana Dispensary Application Fees Fronted for 100 Social Equity Candidates in Illinois. So there's this young man by the name of Seek, S-E-K-E, Ballard. And he has, um, you know, he's a venture capitalist. You know, he may not call himself that, but, I, you know, I dare to call him that. And what he's doing is he's looking for basically up to 100 people that they can give no interest to low in, either low interest or no interest loans to pay. And you have to be an equity partner. So you have to basically qualify, right? But loans up to $2,500 to apply for a license in Illinois to be a part of this you know, movement happening in Illinois. I'm going to give you all some articles. It's extremely important that you go out and read it. Um, Over here, there's an article called Illinois Marijuana Dispensary License Applications Unveiled. Another one on HuffPost, Illinois Proposes New Equity-Focused Marijuana Legalization Bill. Another article, Illinois Marijuana Laws Aim to Undo Harm of War on the Drug. That's on WGN. Another one, new Illinois legalization bill means unprecedented unprecedented social and criminal justice reform. Um, NPR, legal weed business in Illinois promises equity. Another one on NPR, how is marijuana expungement working in Illinois? And this one here, the Illinois marijuana companies that stand to profit under J.B. Pritzker. All right, to make a long story short, if you are considered um, an equity partner or equity asset, what it does is you get 50 points. And the way that this has been set up in Illinois is they're trying to, in their own way, deal with social inequality, you know, wealth inequality. So what they're doing with these marijuana dispensaries is making it so that these rich white men just can't come in, buy up all the licenses, and basically drown everybody out of the opportunities. And they're setting it up that they have to have meet, get so many points to meet the qualifications to get these dispensary licenses, right? And I'm not talking about the medical marijuana. I'm talking about those that just enjoy marijuana. And 
We got 90 seconds left, y'all. I am so sorry, but I'm trying to get Mr. Ballard on the show. I'm also trying to get um, a representative from the Illinois Equity Staffing on the show that we can talk a little bit more about what this is happening. Well, if you're an equity partner or equity um, asset, the fee is only $2,500 to apply. However, if you're granted a license, you got to come up with thirty grand. If you're if you're not an equity asset, it's five thousand dollars to apply, right? However, you know this is why people are putting together teams to go at this so they can make sure that they qualify. But also, when you hit the ground running, when they give the green light and tell everybody that they can open it and see, it's a it's a lottery, so it's random as to where you will be. You can't choose your area; they'll choose it for you. You basically need a million dollars in liquid cash. You need a million dollars to really run, so that's why they're building teams. Anyway, I'm sorry, y'all. I went over. It was a whole bunch of shit I wanted to talk about with about the dispensary. We're going to get some folks on the show, and we're going to get into that. But I want you all, don't let this pass you by, black and brown people. Don't get left behind. Don't lose out. Don't lose out. So look up C-S-E-K-E Ballard, B-A-L-L-A-R-D. But I need you to understand, even if you put that application fee of $2,500 in, it's not refundable. And you got to have the money when they issue you the license. So, And there are, there's a company that's going to do the loans for that as well. It hasn't been started up or released yet. But keep your eyes open. All right, y'all. Damn it. All right, y'all. Take it easy. Thank you for sticking with me. Take care. See you next Sunday. Bye-bye.